Did you know that right now there's a group of people running the business of their dreams? They are respected leaders in their field, working with clients they love and serving them profitably. Now, are they famous? Depends on who you ask. They're not signing autographs at the grocery store or taking selfies every five minutes. They're not trying to be everywhere on social media. Yet when they show up at trade events and conferences, they are recognized and sought after. They're the ones everyone else looks up to. They're the next generation of thought leaders in their space. So what's their secret? Well, they've become famously influential to the right people, and so can you. Today, we'll dig into the story of one of these leaders and deconstruct how they became micro-famous. You won't just come away inspired, you'll come away with a new strategy and a new way of thinking. So while your competition is scattered, chaotic, and chasing every shiny object, you can move forward with confidence and clarity. I'm your host, Matt Johnson, agency founder and author of Microfamous. And if you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, let's get started. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I am super excited for this conversation because it's with one of my favorite thought leaders, David Finkel. You might remember David from his first appearance on the show. He is the co-author of Scale, one of my favorite books of all time, which he co-authored with Jeff Hoffman, the founder of Priceline. David is also the author of a brand new book called The Freedom Formula, which I have right here in my hands. And that is the subject of today's conversation. You might know David as the founder of the business coaching company, Maui Mastermind, which has probably thousands by this point of very happy, successful clients. David has done a masterful job of scaling up a group coaching and individual coaching company, right? And he's also a thought leader in the sense that he is on his, I think, 12th book, The Freedom Formula is his 12th book, if I remember right. And he is uh, able to grow their, their audience and their, their base of people who are aware of them and come into their orbit and into their world by content, the content that they publish, the writing that he does both in book form and in articles that are published by major publications that you would know. That is part of what brings in the traffic. So we talk about that. We talk about how to scale up your secret sauce and build that into your scalable group coaching program right? How do, you, how do you hit that balance so that it's not all about you and you're not having to customize everything for every client and going to the other uh, end of the uh, extreme, which is customizing nothing and, and then trying to scale up based on just the, this kind of one size fits all coaching. There's a, there's a sweet spot in the middle that allows you to have a secret sauce that the coach delivers to the client. And that's what we talk about with David on this. And we also talk about why David's most successful book was not traditionally published, even though most of his books have gone that direction. And he's had great experiences with traditional publishers. We talk about why his most successful book was not traditionally published, which is going to be a super fun and insightful bit of conversation for all of you who are either writing a book, have written a book, or about to write another book to promote your thought leader business. So we've got a bunch of stuff to get into. This is David Finkel on applying the freedom formula to your thought leader business. Let's jump in with David. David, officially welcome back to the show. I appreciate that, Matt. I'm excited to be here. I know. I'm really excited for the conversation. There's a bunch of stuff that we could talk about. Let's just start real quickly with uh, why did you write the book, right? And the, the Freedom Formula, just tell me a little bit about the background and uh, it's coming out here in just uh, about a month from when we're recording. That's right. So um, actually for you and your audience, you think about all the coaches and all the consultants that you have, the agencies that you work with. I know one of the challenges that we found for ourselves and for our clients was how do I succeed at work? without sacrificing family, health, and life to do it. And so for about 10 years, ever since the birth of my first two sons, Matthew and Adam, when they were twins, you know, 10 years ago, um, 
travel and and working 60, 70 hours, it was no longer an option. And so this was something I started myself with my companies. I started to apply it with coaching clients, small cap companies, mid cap companies. And this is the distillation of what we found works, what creates the most value and also does it with boundaries around it. And I think that's an important one. So I, I, I've loved writing. And so I put it down into a written word. This is what I've been teaching with clients now for over a decade. Yeah, love it. And there's, there's so much. I mean, the, the book is, is insanely good. It's, it's nice and it's well laid out. So you can tell, just like when I flip through it, I can tell the depth of thought and experimentation that lies behind the content that went in the book. So I, I always appreciate that when I read something and I can tell the things are well thought out and everything fits really nicely together. I want to start by talking about the curse of competency, which I love that phrase that jumped right off the page and smacked me in the face because of course I, 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 I'm, I would say I'm better than I used to be, but still there's some areas where I need to improve. So what is the curse of competency? Yeah, and, and this is something that all of us struggle with that run businesses. We get really good at what we do. So if I'm a coach, I become a world-class coach. If I'm helping other people running an agency, doing their marketing, I become world-class at doing that marketing component. And the challenge is the better I get, the harder it is for me to let go to somebody else because they really won't do it as well as I do. At least I don't think they will. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is the tighter I grab onto control, the more trapped I become in the business. And, and here's the irony. If we want to build a scalable company, the fact that we hold on so tightly actually diminishes the ability of the business to grow. I become the bottleneck that holds everything back. And that's the curse of competency. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, So how do you... How do you kind of start to break your tendency, right? Because that, that really is the problem. It, it, there's, there's an element there where awareness absolutely helps. Yeah. We start to build systems and you talk about the ultimate business system kind of in the book and we understand Sure. most, most coaches and consultants like help their clients through with this stuff. So they kind of understand what the need for themselves to create systems in their business. But even once you do that, there's still the tendency to when there's a new challenge that comes up in the business, if there's not already a system for it, our first response is usually brute force like you talk about in the book. How do you start to break that tendency? Sure. And I'm smiling here only in that 24 years ago, I started my first coaching company, Matt. I sold that one about nine years in. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing coaching now for essentially a quarter of a century. And, and what happens is we become exceptionally good at coaching other people through this, <laughs> but we're horrible at doing the same thing ourselves. And I understand mm-hmm. this, right? We, it's, it's the cobbler doesn't wear shoes, so to speak. And so here's two things I would say as we get started with this. Number one, the fact that we're world-class at something is wonderful because now we know when we hand it to somebody else, if they're doing a good job. So we can delegate work that we understand how to do really well. The second part is most people who run a coaching practice or a consulting practice say, well, I get how my client can do it. She runs a manufacturing business or he runs an accounting firm, but not me and my business. We think we're special and that cost of being special is, is hours of our life every week and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And I just want to tell any of your listeners, so I've scaled two fairly successful coaching businesses, and it always started off with this, this limiting factor of originally it was me doing the coaching once upon a time in the world of real estate nowadays with gener- general businesses. And we've worked with thousands of companies at this point. The key is to recognize we really can, if we process out what we do, we don't have to make everything a paint-by-numbers thing. But if I can give myself 50, 60, 70% of a structure and I make the other balance of it, the secret sauce that the individual coach brings, I can create an an incredibly consistent, excellent result 
more so than if I make everything and say it's all the secret sauce, because that's not true. There is a core, and that skeleton gives enough structure that with somebody else doing that with the right training and the right tools, they can, in fact, do that. And I think it's an important lesson that having scaled coaching businesses, I, I would hope that your listeners, your viewers, they recognize that they can do the same thing. Yeah, I think that's really good advice because uh, I think most coaches tend to go to one extreme or the other when they when they go to scale. Either they leave it up to their subject matter experts and they create their own systems and then you've got people that are kind of all off system or they try to make everything so much about them and their systems and tools that the coaches just become automatons that deliver coaching from rote based on intellectual property from the founder. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and as a result, you, you lose out on that specialness of being able to adjust to the, the person that you're working with. You lose out on the personality from that part. Yeah. But we need to find that balance. We're not going to be a McDonald's where every hamburger four trillion later are the same. But by the same token here, we don't want to become a McKinsey where everything is custom completely different. And even at McKinsey, they do the same thing. They have a very sharp process yeah. and they do a consulting engagement. They have a very sharp process even though it feels custom, feels fresh for every client that they work with. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, so the balance, finding the balance in between there, so that makes sense. Uh, one of the things that's been helping me is forcing myself to ask the question, who can do this, not how can this get done? So that's a that's quick, right. quick aside on that. Um, so I want to get back. So in the last time that we talked, we talked about distilling things down into simple tools and systems, especially from your perspective as a coach, walking very, very busy business owners and executives and entrepreneurs kind of through these processes to get them make, to make changes. So I want to turn to a couple of the tools that you have in the Freedom Formula book. And, and the first one is the sweet spot analysis. Now, this is something I know you've been coaching and teaching on for a long time. Can you give us kind of the overview? And then I want to talk a little bit about how you have created and streamlined the tool itself so that it actually gets used. That's right. So, so first of all, all of us have challenges in the business wherein we have a thousand different ideas and how do we narrow it to the one or two that make the biggest difference? We'll call those, those one or two ideas who are sweet spots, the, the highest leverage points. And so this tool can be used in a number of ways. Let me share it this way. Mm -hmm. So if I'm working with a client, I'm going to ask them, what do we think is the number one constraint to growth right now? The, the one limiting factor, the capital L, capital F, the, the number one constraint. They might say, well, David, I need more leads okay, well, is it the number of leads coming in or do you have enough leads and is it the conversion issue? Well, mm -hmm. now that you say that, it's really conversion. Okay, is it conversion caused by not having a good process, by not having enough sales capacity, by not having enough pre-education on your leads? The more narrowly we define that limiting factor, the better. So the first is by knowing what that limiting factor is, we've created a real fingerprint on a leverage point in the business. If I can push back that limiting factor, that number one constraint to growth, in the next 90 days, and then repeat the process, huge, huge leverage point. Mm -hmm. So now that I know what that constraint to growth is, let's say it's, um, for me, I, I lack sales capacity. You know, David, it's just me. I'm the only one who sells. Mm -hmm. Now we do step two, which is to, to, to brainstorm at least 10, but ideally 15 or 20 ideas to push that limiting factor back. I might say things like, okay, I can hire more salespeople. I can create a better sales landing page and do the conversion online. I can create an entry-level sale and step them up. I come up with all these ideas. And now my third step, I'm going to put them through two filters, the low-hanging fruit filter and the home run filter. Mm -hmm. And the low-hanging fruit filter says, okay, is this idea easy to do, high likelihood of working? Right, okay. Just like a, 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 an apple, it's easy to pluck when it's low down. The second filter I put through is, is it a home run? If it works, will it create a big impact? 
And the key with this, Matt, and I see it done wrong all the time, is people go, oh, I'll ask of each of these ideas, is it a sweet spot? And I can't do both at the same because it becomes blurred. Instead, mm -hmm. I do this in a really regimented way. I go through each idea. Is this a low-hanging fruit? Is this a low-hanging fruit? I go down the tool. If it is, I check the box for LH for low-hanging fruit. In a second separate pass, I go down and ask, is this a home run? Those ideas that are both jump off the page. Those become our sweet spots. They're low-hanging, which means high, highly likelihood of working, easy to do. And they're also home run, which means big impact, which clearly by focusing it on our, our number one constraint to growth, and these are the things that are easy to do with a big impact, that any of those that we choose are going to be massively successful for the company. And how many do I choose? If I've got six of these low-hanging, uh, these sweet spots, where do I choose? I choose one that I know I can get done, or if I have more um, capacity, I might choose two. I don't choose all six because what's going to happen is I'm going to partially do some, all of them, but really fully do none of them. And just on that, that one idea that I just shared there, I've, I've got a coaching client. They run a, a wholesale business. They do about $12 million a year selling aerospace parts. I, I talk about them in the yeah. Freedom Formula. And their solution for their sales capacity challenge that they figured out using that exact same sweet spot, it wasn't hiring more salespeople. It wasn't about increasing their lead flow. They simply needed a better lead scoring system so that they could put their best salespeople that they already had on their best sales opportunities. And when they did that over the course of the next 18 months, they doubled their profit without hiring any more staff, simply by doing better with the lead flow they already had by making sure that limited lead flow was separated out that the best leads went to their best people. And it was extraordinary. It was a simple idea. It took them probably about six or seven months to actually fully implement it, mm -hmm. systematize, retrain their staff. And then it took about another 12 months before they saw all the fruits of it. But pretty extraordinary to be able to, to double your profit without hiring a single extra person. Yeah, that's, that's insane. Uh, just from a coach's perspective, when, when you look at walking people through this tool, you mentioned kind of what, what my next question was originally going to be, which is how do you get people to focus? And you talked about just focus on one or two, let's get them implemented. Um, but from your perspective, how, what was the process like over the years of kind of distilling that into the tool itself? Yeah. So um, I'm going to be, as we're talking here, I'm flipping through the book. I'm going to actually hold up for those that are watching the video portion. So you can actually see the black and white version of it. It you know, if you want the prettier version, they can download it at freedomtoken.com. And, and they're welcome to even use that. You know, I asked for them giving attribution, but they can use that in, in their coaching practice. So what we start off with is kind of the, the, the quick and dirty version one is just doing the process. Mm -hmm. And what we're gauging is which ones really become what I call a magic bullet. A magic bullet is a tool or a, an activity or a process that when a client sees it, number one, produces a quick and valuable result, a magic bullet. And number two, their eyes light up. So I'm going to hold it up. It's on the book, it's page 86. But again, they can download the color blank version of that. So that's the first version. Mm -hmm. That's just more of a, a, a rough and ready. Once you figure out which are your magic bullets, now you're going to invest some extra energy. And I'll tell you, all of your coaches, all of your listeners, all your consultants should have someone in their life who they pay who's a great designer. I know it's an expense, you know, it might be anywhere from 30 bucks to 130 bucks an hour for a great designer. But when you get a tool that you can lay out beautifully, it creates such value. And, and all you really need is if you're, if you're introducing, it might be three or five of these tools over the course of a year. 
Now, one of the reasons we've been able to keep our coaching clients for as long as we have is that each year as we do this, we've upgraded and created and expanded our toolkit over the years. So now we probably have a hundred of these magic bullets that we can pick and choose and use as a coaching toolbox. But at first, three of them, five of them is all you need. And the cool part is you can literally give away one or two of your magic bullet tools, whether it be on an interview like this, whether it be on your website, whether it be through your YouTube channel. And here's what I find. People over the years have said, David, I got so much value from a free tool. I got so much value from a book that you wrote for 20 bucks. I thought, you know, how could I not do the coaching? And so if I'm looking for a way to frame myself, don't be scared of giving out your good stuff. If your stuff is truly magical, people will recognize that that value is going to be even better when they get the real in-depth part of working together with you. And I think a lot of coaches, a lot of consultants are afraid, well, if the world knows this and everyone will copy. Well, I mean, yeah, I've given you the sweet spot analysis. I've given it out to probably two or three million people in the different syndicated articles and the podcast interviews, et cetera. And, you know, has anyone ripped it off? Probably, you know, hopefully they'll give me credit for it, but it's spent millions and millions of dollars of revenue over the years for our company. So don't worry about that. People are going to copy, let them just stay one step ahead. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of like getting a free tool from a coach or a consultant, they're still going to want, because everybody believes their problem is unique. They believe their challenge is unique and people have a hard time seeing the forest for the trees. They can't, it's hard for them to step outside and apply some of these tools to their own business. They're always going to want somebody to take that tool and customize and specialize it for their situation. That's right. Plus any one tool is going to get a person two or three steps ahead, but the relationship we're looking for is how do we get them a hundred steps ahead? And so that tool becomes, I, I call it a gateway a gateway product called a gateway drug, that first step they take with you. And, and, and if they get an extraordinary experience, value, and also that's why I said pay the extra for the design side of it, mm-hmm. they're much more willing to take that next step with you. It becomes your flagship entry taste of what you have. It's the, the cookies that they give you as you're walking by the store in the mall, and they're so delicious, how could you not? It's the sample. Don't stint on that sample. Give them your best and trust that they'll come, the right people will come through and take that next step. Yeah, love it. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the one-page action plan and why it's so important. I want to step a little bit into just running and building a coaching consulting business since that's what you've done. We, we kind of, I, it's one of those things where we also help our clients through with their strategy and then we're terrible at doing it for ourselves for a lot of the same reasons. So let's talk about it from the perspective of our own business. How do we limit ourselves to a one-page strategic plan, even if it's just us? Yeah. So, I mean, over the years I've seen for myself, my early action plans were 17 pages of all my deep thoughts. And I would write in this <laughs> rambling email, I'd send it out to my leadership team and they would just go, huh? Yeah. Or, or they would say, hmm, David, this is wise. This is really sage advice, but we wouldn't do any of it. It was total crap. <laughs> what I realized is if it's more than one page, I won't look at it. If it's okay. one page, and actually, if you can see on my board back here, I actually have the one page plan for our company for the quarter. And then each of our key departments has a one-page plan for their area. I can pull it off. I'm about to meet later today with Kim, who runs our marketing. I can look at her one-page plan of action, see one, two, three focus areas max. And if those people want to look at it in the book that describes it, it's page 92. Mm -hmm. And what I can do is I can see what her criteria of success are for her action plan, the, the, the action steps and due dates, and I can use that to hold her accountable. Here's the key thing, though. When I'm doing an action plan, I don't want such detail that it goes to more than one page because I won't use it. I, 
we still use a project management tool. So our action plan is kind of like the high level version of it. Kim has in, in, in the project management tool, we use Zoho projects, whether they use you know, Asana or Basecamp, it doesn't matter. But her marketing projects, probably if we printed them out, would go to eight or nine pages, if not longer for the quarter. Sure, okay. But I can lose myself in that detail too much. The, the, the action plan says of all the things I can do in my company this quarter, in this 90-day sprint, what are the one, two, or three things that would make the biggest difference? And so for a cheat sheet, here's what I do. I say, one of my, my focus areas as a default should be pushing back my number one limiting factor. How do I create that? I do that sweet spot analysis like we've just talked about. That's one of my focus areas. It's already taken up by that. The second focus area should be about seizing one of my biggest opportunities. If it's just me and the company, that might be all I can afford of my best discretionary time on those one or two things. Now, if I've got seven or 17 or 70 people who work for me, I can have a third focus area. Don't go beyond there because if I've got more than three top priorities, I don't have priorities. I just have a to-do list. A mm. to-do list does not build value. A to-do list just treads water. Mm. The second kind of tip I would share is if I nail the criteria of success, the action plan is easy to do. If I skip the criteria of success, my action plan is is haphazard. It may or may not yeah. produce a result. So let's say one of my focus areas was to implement um, my lead scoring system for the leads that come in off of our website. My criteria of success might include, I've got an actual Excel spreadsheet scorecard that we're using to track based on lead um, this part. Number two, by the end of the quarter, I know three variables that I think I should use initially for version 1.0 mm. for what I use to, to score the leads. Maybe it's the, you know, has the person done business with us before or the size of the enterprise that I'm working with or which of the free products did they choose? Maybe one of the free product, like for us, if someone reads one of our books, they're a much stronger lead for us than if they come in, just ask for our e-letter yeah. or they come in and, and, and just get a toolkit. The people who read a book often take another step with us. Yeah. By nailing the criteria of success, then the action plan becomes easy. Then in two more quick ideas, number one, don't stuff your quarter the first month. You know, People make their action plan where every action step is due in the first month of the quarter. They're going to give up. There's no way they're going to do it. You've got to space it out. What they're going to say is, screw it. Since I didn't do well this month, I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. The second thing they do is what I call a recipe for procrastination is they make every due date the last day of the quarter which means they're going to do nothing for the first two months other than tread water. And so I want to space it out over time so that if I can look at my action plan, I've got a, a reasonable amount of work in month one, month two, and month three of the quarter. And those are just a couple of the examples from the book that we talked through to make an action plan actually get used to create value. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. There's so much in there. There's so much thought and experience behind that. Cause you're right. I've talked with my, my own business coach about this, who's one of the best performance coaches I know. And that same thing happens right, right with the, with, with your quarterly actions, making sure that you have it strategically mapped out. So yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that you don't figure out until you've been coaching people for 10, 15, 20 years, you start to notice those things. Okay. So I want to turn a little bit uh, in the few minutes that we have left to just where the book fits into your bigger picture and things like that. But since we've talked a lot about the concepts from the book, let's take a step back real quick and talk about the Freedom Toolkit at freedomtoolkit.com, uh, what they get there and, uh, and the bonus that you're offering. Yeah. So for any of your people who ever create their own book, what I've learned, I've, I've done, this is my 11th book. Um, I will never do a book without a custom website for that book. Why? 
because I want to give someone that's a reader some extraordinary reason to register their book so I can start a relationship, not just the relationship of the book, but to actually start working with them. So okay. in the book, the Freedom Toolkit, you'll notice that there's probably 20 different mentions of you can get this video, you can get this PDF, you can get this, and they all go back to the same spot. So if someone went to freedomtoolkit.com, yes, they can buy a book there. But what I'm looking for them to do is to register their book so they get all this extra value. And then by doing that, now I can actually have a conversation, a, a real relationship versus just the relationship in the book. Right. And that's important for, for, for that as a, as a strategy from that. So from the, the question you're asking is, how does this book fit into our coaching practice? I, I've learned for us, if you were to go back and look at the several thousand clients we've had over the years, I would probably tell you that half came to us because of the value of what they got from one of our books, whether it was Scale, the last book I did with the Priceline.com co-founder, Jeff Hoffman, or Build a Business, Not a Job, or any of the other books. That, that for us has been our best ability to generate clients. I'm, I'm, I've always been a teacher by heart. I love to, to simplify and to, to synthesize ideas down into really easy to use stuff. So writing and, and audio podcasts and, and video-based stuff works well for us as a marketing tool, a content strategy. Mm -hmm. For somebody else, they might be so good at their social media or so good at their, their web copy that for them it's a different form or they're so good speaking to a live audience that, that getting out there and doing talks. For us, content has been the way that we've generated client relationships now for 25 years. Yeah. And I, I'm looking forward to that too. I mean, this is, um, so I'm working on my first one, but it, I, I'm a pastor's kid. So I, I grew up like immersed in doctrine theology and listening to my dad speak and, and distill concepts down into understandable step-by-step -step systematic pieces of information. Uh, and it's funny when I talk, I can hear my dad's voice coming out in, in the way that, that I so talk cool, about things. Man. That yeah. is so cool. So I'm, I'm looking for, yeah, I mean, hopefully someday I'll be on my 11th book as well, but I completely agree. Like you, like if you're going to offer the book for sale through traditional avenues, the worst part about that is you don't know who's buying the book. So That's you're right. incentivizing them to get into a relationship with you by giving them a bunch of free stuff, get into the email list and let's start a relationship outside of you just buying and reading the book. So that makes sense. Good. And, and balance it off. I'll tell this for a client of yours. Uh, I like having mainline conventional published books. It gives me a distribution I can never get, but I'll tell you, the most successful book for us is probably Build a Business, Not a Job, which was self-published. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, I, you know, our, our hard cost for a book is so inexpensive when I buy them in 3,000 uh, unit lots, I can actually give away a hardcover book for less money than it would cost me to print a glossy brochure. It's extraordinary. It has more value with that part. Good. So, and then the other part of it is, you know, you can promote that part. Like for example, Amazon has a wonderful quarterly giveaway if you're in their Kindle Direct publishing side. I give away the ebook once per quarter for a 48 hour run. Mm -hmm. you know, generally speaking, we'll probably have five to 10,000 people a year who get that book for free in a big part because of those free runs. Now, again, we built an e-list, a, you know, a, a large e-list, which makes it easier. But even on the low side, don't be afraid of self-publishing. And then later on, go for your mainline published one. I mean, it's good. You'll get a different distribution. You'll get a different level of credibility. But start with what you have. Get, get that first book out. You know, the stories that you share, get it out there for sure. Yeah, yeah, 100% um, agreed self-publishing to begin with and then eventually I'll progress on to, to mainstream. But uh, yeah, I've, I've got a client that's done, you know, he's on his 
fourth or fifth book That's says right. the same exact thing. The thing that he shifted to is he's not even selling his book on Amazon anymore. It's only available through his site. So he's going full on off the grid, um, which is uh, an interesting thing. So I've got one last question for you. Um, but before that, what's the, uh, what's the bonus and how do people get it? Yeah. So they can get to freedomtoolkit.com. Not only can they get the book there, they can also get and register to get that, that toolkit. It has all kinds of incredibly valuable bonuses, but there's one more. When you get the Freedom Formula by October 15th and let our office know, just send a quick email to bonus at MauiMastermind.com. Maui Mastermind is my main coaching company. Do it by October 15th. Not only will you get all the other bonuses, but we'll also immediately send you back a link to get a one-hour video and a six-page PDF tool we created called the Five Profit Levers. It goes through the five places in any company with a dozen different ideas for each of those levers on how can you increase margin and profitability. And it's a phenomenal tool. I mean, and by the way, if I'm a coach or a consultant, um, I can, with attribution, pull those ideas and share with client, and it's gonna help you be a better coach or consultant for your clients for getting just your own business. So yeah. um, again, that's by October 15th, bonus at MauiMastermind.com is the email. Perfect. Love that. Okay. So you mentioned the book scale. So here's what I'm curious about. And I don't know if this, it, this is way out of left field, but I'm curious because you're looking to attract a certain type of coaching client to your business. I'm curious about the fact that the, the main emphasis of the book scale being the word scale versus the newest book, which the emphasis on is on freedom. Yeah. Do you think that attracts a different, more targeted type of client? Yeah, for sure. And what's interesting, um, the Freedom Formula is the first book that I ever wrote that was for more than just the owner. A lot of our clients say, David, your book is great. But when I give it to my, my staff, they say, well, I'm not the owner. Or in some few cases, they said, well, my best people left and started their own company. Uh, <laughs> like scaling up sounds awesome. I'm going to go do right. that. I should do this myself. So they said, do you have a book that you could give us that would be used for our team members? So Freedom Formula is written for an owner for a key executive or leader, a self-employed professional, for all that audience. Gotcha. And when we work with a client, we tend to work for two main measures of our, were we successful or not. Measure number one is did we grow, right? Revenue, profitability, margins. Second formula for us or second criteria is did we increase freedom? And the way we measure that is did we increase the strategic depth of the company? Is the business stronger without the owner today than it was what it was a quarter ago, a year ago, five years ago? And so definitely this book is going to be more mainline. And what this is for, this is for the person who says, look, yes, I'm intrigued by making the business better, but what matters most to me, how can I actually not have to be working 70, 80 hours a week, stressed out of my gourd, taking work on vacation? How, how can I make this fit into my life so that I can do extraordinary things at work and still have a life and all those rich rewards beyond just the bottom line? And that's what the book's written for. Gotcha. Do you, do you guys actually do coaching where you meet with just the owner? Yeah. So all of our coaching we do, um, I'd say 90% of it is we're coaching the owner. Uh, we're doing both via phone or video, uh, video chat each month. And mm -hmm. then we also do quarterly events for just for clients and their key staff. And okay. we've just started doing more programs for key staff members. We, we really, before we're focusing just on the owners because they're yeah. the easiest point of, of maximum change. It's hard for a key employee to change when the owner doesn't. Mm -hmm. And most of our clients are about the one to $20 million mark. That's the niche that we've tended to, to narrow. And in those marks, uh, if I'm a, the COO, I can't change a ton unless my owner who's involved in that company, unless she or he really believes in what I'm doing. So yeah. that's what we've, what we've led to do. And we do it all one-to-one -one and also um, the quarterly in the group. And we found a good marriage between that, that, that kind of pattern. 
Okay. That makes total sense. All right. Well, this has been amazing. I could, I could pick your brain for about three and a half more hours, but I'll try to contain myself. So freedomtoolkit.com. David, I really appreciate your time. This has been awesome. Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Micro Famous Podcast. If you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, connect with us at getmicrofamous.com. It's the best way to take the next step to implementing the Micro Famous strategy in your business so you can attract an audience, build influence, and become the Micro Famous leader you're meant to be. And we'll see you on the next episode.